You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. So blessed that you've come to worship the Lord with us today on our International Missions Emphasis Sunday. We have a wonderful, wonderful service lined up for you. You know, our church, because of your giving, is able to support over 20 missionaries and international cross-cultural ministry projects around the world, many among unreached peoples or least-reached peoples, tough places in the world. If you don't have this resource, I invite you to pick one up on your way out at our missions table. You'll see it out there with the flags on it. This uh, International Missions Prayer Book gives you information about who our missionaries are, where they are, and what they're doing, and how you can be praying for them. So I want to encourage you to pick one of these up and pray through that as an individual or as a family, as a small group. would be a, a beautiful way to lift up our missionaries. With our missions emphasis here at River Oaks, I want to tell you about a very exciting thing that we're going to launch next January. There's a, a missions training course called Kairos that's going to be offered on Tuesday nights from January 28 to March 18. If you feel a call on your life to become more involved in missions or just to know what's going on in the world, I invite you to consider taking this course. Uh, one of our uh, missionaries, Randy and Martha Hallbettle, are involved in teaching this. So I would encourage you to take a look at it and consider availing yourself to that uh, course offered this January. 7 o'clock on Tuesday nights, and it will be a great blessing to our church. We're excited uh, today that we do have actually some missionaries in the room with us uh, and a couple of missionaries that are crossover ministering in our Kids Rock service. George and Phyllis Crispy are over there, and I want to invite you to visit their table uh, in the coffee bar after the service to learn more about what they're doing in Malawi. In just a moment, uh, Pastor Sonny's going to come. And talk a little bit about a church planting partnership that our church is involved with in West Africa. But just before he does that, I want to also mention that, uh, you know, we have adopted a, an unreached people group in our church. And this group is uh, people of Kanar in North India. And we have some beautiful things happening there. Uh, when we first started over a dozen years ago. We didn't know of any believers there. We didn't know of any churches there. And now we're regularly hearing reports of people coming to faith and receiving baptism. And the church is growing among our adopted unreached people group. So we're really, really thankful for that. If you'd like to learn more about that, there's a display right on the other side of this wall that would give you some information about that part of the world that we're praying for and seeking to reach with the gospel. And so with that, I want to invite Pastor Sonny to come up. He's going to give you an overview of a church planting effort in West Africa and introduce our guest to us. Good morning, church. Um, Stuart Mock and I have had the privilege for the last eight months um, mentoring four church planters in Sierra Leone. And they're among uh, a group of about 40 this is mostly a Muslim area. We ride around here. We see a church on every corner. There, there's a mosque on every corner. 
And so it's been really encouraging. We've been taking them through John Stott's book on basic Christianity. Most of these guys, are they were either born Muslim or they came out of that and converted to Christianity, and now they're going out and sharing the gospel. And you're going to hear this morning from Alan and Paula uh, what the Lord is doing. It is crazy, some of the stories that I'm hearing from them. Whole villages converting, baptisms on a regular basis. See, the gospel is not just for America. It's for everywhere. God has called us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And so you're going to hear this morning about what the Lord is doing. Uh, there's one thing I want to share with you. all There's a book at the Resource Center called Sharing Jesus with Muslims. You know, there's been many times over the years I've been on a plane doing a mission trip and sit beside a, a Muslim guy and try to strike up a conversation. <clears throat> Never could get anywhere. We have this mentality that they are our enemy. They're not. They're our brothers and sisters to be. This book was one of the best books I've read on how to share faith with them. It takes away a lot of the stereotypes that we have in our head, and it's really, really easy. They are hungry for spiritual things. We have to learn how to care for them, see them as one of God's children, strike up a conversation, and share Jesus with them. Because we all know that Jesus is the answer, the only answer. So I would encourage you to get that book and read it. Well, I have the honor this morning to introduce Alan and Paula Saramali, and they're going to come and tell you about what's going on in Sierra Leone and give them a round of applause as they come up this morning. Good morning. It's a privilege to be here. And let me tell you that if you are not excited about your Christian faith, come with us to West Africa. It is amazing to see how they embrace and are passionate people about serving God. Even Sometimes that they're not even well-equipped, they're out there. They're like, sure. I'm going. And it's an exciting thing for Alan and I to be part of this ministry that God has called us to. I'm just going to give you a brief background of how we got here. Um, in 2014, after about 18 plus years at Gordon Conwell Seminary in Charlotte, God, in his sovereign plan, opened the doors for Alan and I to be part of a fundraising branch of West Africa Theological Seminary in Lagos, Nigeria. The largest black city in the world, 22 million people. So we went over there on numerous trips, and it opened our eyes to the amazing things that God is doing in that part of the world. We saw African faith and I like to refer to it as this African faith. In America, we try plan one, plan two, plan B. Then we go to God's plan many times. In Africa, they start with prayer about anything. There's a story about how African brothers 
were with it, and I know this story because it was told to me by the person that, that was there. They were driving along, African Americans. They lost a wheel, the lug nuts on a wheel. The Americans, first thing they do, they jump right out and start looking, okay, all around. First thing Africans do was pray. Then they got out and found the lost lug nuts on the wheel. That's what African faith is like. They believe that God shows up in every situation. They believe in a spiritual world that for them is alive, it's real, the good and the bad. And they are, they define things. We a lot of times look at what we see and what we see is not really what we see, it's what we don't see in the spiritual world. They see that world and they bring it alive and help us understand that. God is using them. God was using this time at West Africa Theological Sem Seminary to meet these indigenous leaders in other countries who have ministry going, even if they don't have the money, they don't have the supplies. And it was how God used that to broaden and make us take the next step in his sovereign plan to move us into the ministry we are in now, which is African Leadership Initiatives. We, we call it ally because we want to be that ally to that minister, to that missionary, to that indigenous leader in Africa to come alongside them and say, what do you need? How can we help? How can we then tell you guys, listen, this guy over here needs this. We're not equipped with that, but you can. So join us in helping them. That's what Alan and I do. We are called to help identify needs and then identify people in this audience who can help meet those needs. That's why we call Ally, and we're excited about that opportunity. We can't do it ourselves. That's why we invite you to participate with us. Maybe you can't go, but you can still be an active part of that. Alan's gonna share a little more about it, but I'm gonna share about one thing that I am interested in. Well, I'm interested in a lot of things, but one particular thing that I think God has laid upon my heart. These church planters go into these Muslim remote villages where Islam is practiced, not the uh, radical Islam yet that is practiced. In Islam, Men are in charge of everything. Women only find identity if they are married to a man or anything. And you can see it on these women's faces in these villages. There's a hopelessness. There's an emptiness in their eye. And I got to thinking, if all that are coming into these villages are men, Christian men, the church planners, and all they uh, women identify with is Islam is men dominated and they see only men coming in. How are they gonna take that transition to Christianity? 
So I began to pray that some of the women, maybe the wives of the church planners or other women, would get a heart to reach these women, to go with these church planners, to sit down with these women and just face to face begin to share how God from Genesis 1 created a woman of worth. How God even identifies himself in many terms in the scripture about as a mother longs for her children, so I long for you. As a, there's many instances. So God has began to be brought together five women now in Sierra Leone who are beginning to go out and to sit down with these women in the villages. And these five women have a hard life, but I hear from them, we'll Zoom, and they'll say, the women in the villages have it so hard. They're not even cared for it. They do everything, but they have no worth. So that's one thing that I'm excited about that's just now getting on the ground level. And I appreciate, and I'm looking for women here who want to do the same thing that Sonny and Stuart are doing, that can get on Zoom call once a month and help train these women to go into these villages and be better prepared. Good morning. It's a delight uh, to be with you. My relationship with River Oaks goes back some 30 years. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Well, we're not even 30 years old. Well, uh, I met Pastor Dave when he was a student at Gordon-Conwell. We got to be friends then, and we're friends to this day. And I know he's listening, so David, I hope you can say the same thing about me. We uh, started this project in West Africa first in Nigeria, where we went to work with the West Africa Theological Seminary. I was leading their work here in the U.S., and I would go there once or twice a year. I was on the faculty. I taught at the seminary. Um, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of students that would go out and throughout the country, not just Lagos but all the way up into the northern parts of Nigeria where the Boko Haram hassled them, threatened them, even killed them. And I could tell you stories I don't have uh, all the time in the world to do that this morning because I really want to focus on Sierra Leone and the work we do there and actually the work that you do there based upon the encouragement that we receive from Dave and Wes and Sonny and the missions team. It's been a challenge, but challenges always come with joy when you see the Lord Jesus Christ working in the lives of these people. I want to share with you some slides. Before we move to the first one, well, we're there already. Okay, so we're back. Did you ever have one of those days when something happens and it isn't necessarily good 
and you wonder, Lord, why are you taking me through this? I know you have a reason and the purpose for doing everything in our lives, but this just doesn't work for me right now. A couple of weeks ago, it was 27 hours, and I finally get to Freetown. And I get a few hours sleep, and they pick me up in the morning. And we start going to these remote villages up in the north, about 20 miles from the country of Guinea. This is the first day. On our way back from Cambia, we're going into McKinney. It's rainy season. This big old tractor-trailer truck is on the road coming right at us. And the driver had no recourse but to go off the road into the mud. And it's 6 p.m. and dark is approaching. We're near this village and the villagers heard what had happened and within 15 minutes we were surrounded by 25 people from the village. This is a Muslim village and we know that. We assume when we go to these places that they are. They're not difficult Muslims, they're friendly Muslims, so they'll help when they can. And these 25 helped for three hours to push this car out of the mud, and we went about a foot. <laughs> we realized after three hours, really smart, this wasn't going to work, we better call somebody. So the person I was with, I'll introduce you to in a minute, calls his friends in McKinney, which is 10 miles away. He says, yeah, we know some guy with a tow truck will be out there. It's now 9 o'clock. It's dark. It's raining. I'm tired. And I'm saying, you know, Lord, it would be nice to get to a bed and just get a couple of more hours rest. It wasn't going to happen. Tow truck arrives in an hour. It's 10 their first attempt to pull the car out didn't work. The rope snapped. Car went back into the mud. Second attempt worked. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. We are now going to get to town. We're going to get some rest. Our leader there, Joseph Karoma, is an evangelist. He takes every opportunity in the world to present Jesus Christ to Muslims. He knows how to do it. There's about, well, there were 13 young Muslim men that had stuck around all these hours because they wanted to be paid for pushing us that foot. So they stuck around hoping to be paid. So the natural thing to do is to pay them which we did. In their currency, it wasn't much. But then Joseph, at 11 o'clock at night, says to these guys, I'm going to pay you. Here's your money. But I want to I tell you something. Pulls him to the side of the road, 11 o'clock at night, pouring rain, preaches the gospel to these 13 young men and every one of them accepted Jesus Christ on that road that night. Those are the kinds of things that we experience in this part of Africa. 
relatively unevangelized because of the strength of Islam in West Africa, which borders North Africa. The old stuck in the mud. That's my nickname now with my friends. Next slide, please. This is Joseph Karoma. This is one of the motorbikes, and we'll say more about these in a minute. Joseph was a student of mine at the West Africa Theological Seminary, the only student that shook my life significantly when he talked about his life in Sierra Leone during the Civil War when he had to flee to the bush with his wife and children. And two weeks into the bush, he had to go back to get food, and the rebels saw him, and he fled, but he still was shot. Managed to get back to the bush. Those kinds of stories in Sierra Leone are common. Joseph's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ hasn't been shaken despite all of the things that he's had to experience. This is one of the motorbikes. Talk a little bit more about those. Next slide, please. So we get to this remote village. And by remote, uh, Freetown is about 60 miles away. Okay? Now calculate in, in your mind how long it should take you to get there. It took us four and a half hours to get to this village. The church planters have just gathered people together. They've just planted a church in this small remote village, which is surrounded by dozens and dozens of villages, just like this one. Next slide. We went to another village. This is the team from McKinney. The person with the hat on is Jalo. Jalo went to a village about five miles from where he lived. They were showing the Jesus film out in the bush. Jalo was there. Jalo is a Fulani, dedicated Muslim. He saw the Jesus film. He came to Christ in that village. Begged the church planter in the blue, to come to his village because his people needed to hear about this Jesus because they'd never heard about Jesus before. These guys are busy. The church planter put them off and put them off and put them off. Jalo kept going to him and going to him, begging him, will you please come to my village. Finally, he relented. You know, it's like Paul, the call, the Macedonian call. Come to us. The church planter planned the time, went there, showed the Jesus film, and nearly the entire village came to Jesus that night. These are Muslims that have never heard the gospel before. The Islamic leaders, the, the Muslim political leaders don't want Christianity there, but they can't stop it. Not just because the Spirit of God is moving so quickly through these places, but the government, the constitution of Sierra Leone says, we have freedom of religion, you can do whatever you want. Christians can go and feel free to share about Jesus, so that's what they're doing. Next slide. This is the village. I mean, 
These people accepted us with open arms. In fact, it was probably one of the nicest villages that I'd been to yet. It was up in the mountains. The breeze was blowing. And when I got up to begin to share, I said, of all the villages I have visited since I have been in Sierra Leone all these years, this has got to be my favorite. Well, you know how that went over. I got a standing ovation for 10 minutes. Next slide. Children, children, chi go back, please. Children, children, children. You know, these are Muslim families. If you know anything about Islam, the men can have more than one wife. So they typically have families of 10, 15, 20. There are so many children. If Christianity can be accepted by the adults, the children will come along with them. Next slide. <coughs> oh, we need to go back one. I'm sorry. Uh, this, it's hard to see this, but the guy with his hand up like that, that's the section chief who came to Christ when the church planters went in and shared the gospel. A section chief is someone who has responsibility over a number of different villages in the surrounding area. And they were interpreting for me, Joseph was saying, this guy was encouraging the spread of the name of Jesus to all the villages in the surrounding area. They don't know who Jesus is. Next. This is Komende, one of the most exciting places I went on this last trip. The people are beginning to go to a building, which we've been able to construct. Next slide. This is it. They've arrived. This church building was given to this community through a donation from a couple in the U.S. who lost a son, gave a gift to Ally. We told these people when I was there in January, if we get the money for, to build this church building in this village, they, they've got mosques in this village, but no churches. There's no churches within 20, 30, 40 miles of this place. If we get money, I told them in January, to build a church, we'll build one here. So be praying. This couple in February sent a check. I told them in February, we're going to build a building. I went in August. There it is. This church in this village now has probably 200 believers, where a couple of years ago there was none because of the work of the church planters like Kenema, McKenney, Bo. Next slide. This never gets old. This is what you have every time you go to these villages. Next slide. Again, the children. You're overwhelmed when you see them. And you know that if you just can plant in their hearts Jesus and, and allow them to learn about Jesus, you'll change that country for Christ in the next generation. Next. Next. 
This is inside during the service. So what we try to do, and each team in the U.S. that works with a team in Sierra Leone and Kenema, uh, the Kenema One team is uh, uh, what uh, Sonny has been working with and uh, Stuart, uh, we try to get them motorbikes because when you get a motorbike on these roads, uh, you get places a lot faster. And I'll show you why. Next slide. Pay attention to the left of your screen here. That guy got to the village an hour before us. I was tempted to say, Joseph, stop. Flag the next motorbike down. I want to get on it. And then it dawned on me that it was the rainy season, so I stayed in the car and kept dry. Next slide. This is our church planting conference as it concludes. Over 40 church planters here. We have five established teams. We hope to have three uh, more starting in October. Uh, and we just want to continue uh, to push this in West Africa and in Sierra Leone. Next slide. That's Joseph's team. He does it all with five people. Next. This is the team that you guys support. On the left is Pastor Isaac. He's the lead church planter. These guys work with him going to other villages. Next slide. This is his work. This is being done by the group in Kenema, probably more than any of the other church planting groups. Baptism after baptism after baptism. And the next slide, which is the last one, these are the groups that get together on a particular day to be baptized. Day after day after day after day. And you have to remember something. West Africa is a relatively unreached part of the country. It borders North Africa. Islam is as strong there as it is anywhere else in the world. So keeping Christianity out is something that they've been doing for generations. Thank you. I think we're done here. So let me just uh, put my glasses back on and look to see how much time I have left, and it ain't much. <laughs> One of the wonderful things that we see that these teams are doing in these unreached regions is they're doing their best not just to go and evangelize people, but they go into these areas and they do good things for the people. Things like uh, they go to one village. The chief comes to the church planting team and says, hey, listen, uh, we're really poor. We really need your help. And of course, the chief is the administrative leader of these areas. And if they can do something good for their people, then they end up staying the chief. If they can't, they get another one. Not much different in some cases with our politics. The chief goes to the church planter and says, you know what? We had a lousy rice crop last year. We have no seed. Joseph calls me and he says, prof. He calls me prof. He's the only one that calls me prof. Not even my wife calls me prof. 
says, Prof, the chief needs rice seed so they can have a rice crop this year. Can we help them? That was a no-brainer for us. We sent them money to buy seed to plant a rice crop for those villages around there. The chief was so grateful. I was there in January of 2022. I was sitting next to the chief, and the chief got up and through a transfer says, we are so thankful to you for what you did to help us. Talking not just to me, but to the other people. We are so thankful. We're going to give you a piece of land. And you can have that piece of land and you can do with it whatever you want. You know what we're going to do? Build a church in a Muslim area. Where there's a dozen villages around within walking distance so people can come to that Christian church and bring Christianity back to their village where they've never had it before. Joseph took me to another village. And he says, Prof, look over there. And I look over there, and well, Joseph, all I see are, are a bunch of pineapples growing out of the ground. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pineapples. I says, well, that's great, man. And he says, we did that. We did that for these villagers so that they can have something to eat, they can have something to market, and they can have some kind of wealth so they can make their lives better. When you do that and you attach it to the Lord Jesus Christ, it's powerful. And Joseph keeps telling me, Prof, there's power. There is power in good works. But then you got to be careful because it's not about good works, it's about Jesus. And if your works do not flow from your relationship with Christ, it's nothing because you end up with a works based. Religion, which is what Islam is. And he understands that. The joy comes in the being, who we are in Christ, not what we do. We do comes out of who we are. We are led by God. Paul says, you know, do good works because God prepared them for you long before you were ever around. If you love Jesus, you will do those kinds of things. And, and the text that I want to bring to you this morning is in Luke 7. And while it doesn't say certain things, there are, are things behind the text that if you study, if you understand, and I'll give you some of it, the stuff behind the text will illuminate what's in the text. So what's behind the text and those of you who like to write notes, here's point A. Okay, A. All right. Point A is this. The faith of Capernaum. The faith of Capernaum. Now, if you know anything about Capernaum, this is where Jesus settled when he moved out of the house. He went to Capernaum. Capernaum is the place where Jesus found Peter and Andrew, and John, and James, and some say even Matthew was there because this was one of those Roman um, enclaves. It was a major trading route. 
So many, many people came through. So there was uh, Roman guards there. And the centurion, who is in the story, was there. Let me read it for you. Ten verses. Luke 7. When he completed all his discourse in the hearing of the people, which, by the way, many are referring to uh, the Beatitudes, Matthew 5 through 7. Jesus said that. Then he went to Capernaum. So he's in Capernaum, his home. And a certain centurion slave, who was highly regarded by him, was sick and about to die. And when he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. And when they had come to Jesus, they earnestly entreated him, saying, he is worthy for you to grant this to him. For he loves our nation, and it was he who built our synagogue, which Jesus frequented because it was his home. It was his city. Now Jesus started on his way with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself further, for I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him and turned and said to the multitude that was following, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. Tremendous story. But behind the text, the centurion most likely knew about all of these wonderful things, these good works that Jesus had done. He had done so many good works that he had thousands of people following him now. And when you have thousands of people following him in a city that is no more than 1,500, it raises the awareness of, of the governing officials wondering what's going on. So they probably understood that Jesus was out doing things, and they heard about the healings, they heard about the feedings, they heard about this miracle, they heard about that miracle, and this was most likely all reported to this centurion. So he knew that Jesus had this power to do good things. That's what's behind this text. This area was prophesied, and write this down, those of you who are scribbling. Isaiah 9-2. Isaiah 9-2. Isaiah prophesied that this very area would have the brightest light come to it. And that was the light of the Messiah. So you had this centurion. This is the background, the backdrop, or what I call behind the text. Of course, you got the comments within the text, okay, which we read. 
And those of you who want another Roman numeral, here's B. Okay. First one was the faith of Capernaum. This one is the faith of the centurion. All of these things that Jesus had done affected him. Affected him greatly. And I suspect, I suspect that because they did, his faith began to grow in this Jesus. Even though he may not have known him as his Savior yet. He was probably the most powerful political and military figure in the entire area. He had a lot of clout. These are things we can learn within the text. He had many slaves. He had many servants. He had many military men under his control. So he knew what it meant to have power. And his faith in Jesus, the faith that he had in Jesus to do what Jesus did for him, had to come from somewhere. Now let me suggest this, okay? This is just a suggestion, right? His faith came by witnessing the remarkable miracles as Jesus did these wonderful things for these people that he governed. So he's moving along on this faith schedule. So you got A, the faith of Capernaum. You got B, the faith of the centurion within the text. And now I want to go beyond the text, okay? And this is C, okay? And here it is. The faith of the Christian, okay? Because you got to have some kind of eternal truth coming out of a passage like this. If you don't, you just miss it. The faith of the Christian, the faith that you and I have. How does it grow? Let me suggest three ways, okay? Here's the first. It grows by getting to know Jesus. And you get to know Jesus by reading the Bible, by getting discipled, by being involved in your faith as it relates to Jesus. If you're not growing by learning about Jesus, then your faith can't possibly be growing. You may disagree with me. That's okay. I don't believe your faith can grow without knowing as much as you possibly can about who Jesus is. That's why basic Christianity is so important to be teaching to these teams because they'll take it to these villages where the people don't even know who Jesus is. And they will learn about who Jesus is because we know, we're confident that the Kenema church planting group is listening and interacting to what we're saying. Okay? Seeing what Jesus does. First, knowing who Jesus is. Seeing what Jesus does. And, and I don't know about you, um, but before I was ever able to get out and travel and go see these kinds of things, all I did was hear. And while I 
heard, I still believe. But when I see, it increases my faith. See what Jesus does. You can see a lot of that when these guys report back to you about what they've done on the field. And finally, finally, sharing what Jesus does. Sharing what Jesus does. Let me tell you this final story. It was, it's one of those things uh, that when I heard it, when I experienced it, um, it can never go back. This village in Komende, where we built the church, about, I don't know, maybe a month before, I better check and see what time it is, because, oh, I got plenty of time, folks. <laughs> I have till noon. This church in this village, there was a man who lived in the village who was sick. So sick that his family sent him to three hospitals in Sierra Leone. Every one of the hospitals sent him home because they couldn't help him. They took him to the African medicine men. They just wanted the money. They couldn't help him. The father tells the oldest son, go out and buy his burial clothes because we'll probably be burying your brother. I heard that story a couple of weeks before I went from Joseph. So I go over, we go to dedicate the church in the middle of the service. This guy stands up and he starts telling me the same story that Joseph told me three weeks to a month earlier. And it was an incredible confirmation that Jesus is working because after the hospitals, after the African tribal doctors, the church planting team said, can we go pray for him? This is his brother telling me the story, the, the older brother who had been sent to town to buy burial clothes. He's telling this story. The church planting team went to pray. They prayed for several hours over the boy, boy, young man. People had started coming. They had heard this was going on. At a moment in time, that young man rose up, took some water, took some food, and started getting better. And they attribute it to the prayers of the Christians. Now, the, the older brother was, was straightforward. And you got to remember this. These older men, these, these men in their 50s that have been Muslim their whole life, they just don't convert to Christianity on a whim. But the brother said this. He says, because of what I saw, My family and I are coming to this church. Where, where else is he going to hear about Jesus? 
And he's going to hear about the Jesus that we, we hopefully uh, have trained these church planters to present. The mother saw her son rise. She became a Christian. The one who was healed became a Christian. Phenomenal things that happen when you, when you do these good things in the name of Jesus. And folks, you here at River Hills, River Oaks, I'm sorry, there's, yeah, I, I was at River Hills two weeks ago. At River Oaks are a big part of that. And I hope that Sonny has an opportunity to say, okay, we're going to go to Sierra Leone. Who wants to go? And he has a dozen people ready to follow him. So I, want, I just want to thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for your support.